0: Hello friends, welcome back to the Kaderna Podcast. I'm Brian Kaderna. This is the show where we discuss wealth and its original meaning, a state of well-being. Did you know that your favorite autobiography, whether it's a celebrity, superstar athlete, icon in business, it was most likely written by somebody you've never heard of. They're called ghostwriters. On today's episode, I'll be interviewing David Jarr, one of the unsung heroes of the publishing industry. He's a distinguished ghostwriter, particularly in the genres of the mind, body, and soul. Since 2011, David's worked alongside five New York Times bestselling authors, including renowned doctors, CEOs, and pastors. In 2003, he wrote a story that would earn an ESPY Award nomination for Most Inspirational Sports Story of the Year by ESPN. His most notable project is The Daniel Plan, in which he worked with Pastor Rick Warren, Dr. Oz, Dr. Daniel Amen, and Dr. Mark Hyman, and has helped thousands of people enhance their physical and spiritual health. I'll provide some links to that in the show notes. So today we deconstruct the creative process and understand how it is that David Jar helps people tell their story in the best way possible as an author and as a communicator, something that we're all ultimately trying to do on this journey through life. Lastly, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to the Kaderna podcast on YouTube or wherever it is that you're tuning in. It means more than I can possibly say. So please and thank you. Now, without further ado, my conversation with David Jar
1: Is going to require work and time and sweat and toil.
2: If money wasn't an issue, what would I be doing? Don't worry about it. You'll figure it out. Change is the only constant. The Podcast. David,
0: how's it going? Hey everyone, how's it going? Hey
1: Brian, I'm hey, doing great. Welcome. I'm excited okay. to be on your show today and to help people understand this new world of publishing and and yep. uh, the opportunities within. So thanks. for I know. Having. And
0: I'm excited to have you here because it it does seem like everything in the world is changing, you know, at breakneck speed, but. Um, going through the publishing process, I mean, I did it as a self-published author and then most recently with McGraw Hill, you know, pretty big publishing house. And so I've seen firsthand how quickly, like it's crazy how it's changing. And there's just so many authors now with the ability just to kind of get your content out to the world. How has that affected you? I mean, you've been in it for a good while now.
1: Yeah. First of all, maybe you should be uh, doing the, maybe I should be interviewing you on how you did that. That's an incredible story. <laughs> and by the way, I got your book. Oh, awesome. I have to say cool. that you just have done an incredible job here. I'm really impressed with not only the mm-hmm. writing, but the, um, the information you have here to help people um, with Thank understanding, you. how do you answer this question? What should I do with my money? It's not a simple answer, is it? You, it's very personalized and i've been impressed with what you've done here and i haven't quite finished it but i'm uh um eager to get this is the one that's on my desk right now i am reading this book that's awesome. of view and and you're writing so
0: oh, i've man. been thank impressive. you
1: congratulations on getting a publishing deal too that's great
0: awesome yeah you're making <laughs> me blush over here <laughs> <laughs>
1: well you know it's you know we need more kudos in this industry i think um but yeah, yep. the publishing world has definitely changed. You know, there was a day when, uh, maybe even 15 years ago, where the only path to getting a pu- published book was to go through a traditional publisher, and so mm-hmm. you had to write an incredible manuscript, and you had to have this ability to to demonstrate that you can sell books to a publisher, so they can make the investment risk on you, and and then you know your dreams come true, you get a published book, and and but over the last fifteen years, uh it's dramatically changed. This self-publishing idea has really become a powerful force. You know, there most estimates there's about between 1.7 and, and 2 million books published a year. Wow. And so That's and about insane. 75 to 80 percent of those are self-published. Huh. So the the ability these days to write, publish, and promote your book by yourself has just created a whole new landscape. Now, there is still the traditional publishing, and like McGraw-Hill, uh, they're looking for authors that have a platform, you know, that, that they can demonstrate they have an audience to sell to so they can, they'd be willing to invest in the author and the book and um, to make a, a return on their investment. So that that pathway is still there. But, um, what I say these days is that you don't write a book and get, get famous, you know, it's Mm -hmm. the other way around. First you get famous and then you write a book if you want want a traditional publishing deal. Yeah. And, um, that may sound intimidating, but, um, there's, you don't need to have millions of people. You can actually have a thousand raving fans and and develop a decent, um, uh, book and, and sell it to an audience. So. That's what I Can help we, people do is figure out their pathway, uh what makes the most sense for them and then help them with the writing and then the publishing and and the promoting part. So it's it's changed a lot in the last uh 10-15 years.
0: Yeah, it has. And I mean is that like the Amazon effect like cuz I remember when I first wanted to write a book, um I'm trying to think this was like It's crazy. I guess this was like 10, 11 years ago that I wrote Millennial Millionaire. And I had no idea, you know, I'm almost a good case study because I had no idea what to do with it. I thought it was a good book. I wrote the whole thing out. And then you almost have this like epiphany of like, what do I do now? Like, I I just wrote all this down. I have no idea where to bring it to. And I remember I got in touch with a literary agent and I almost felt like they were kind of like hijacking my book they wanted to reposition it to what they thought might be like the the best audience out there just to go buy it. And, um, it was, it was a real like, um, kind of trial by fire process. And so I ended up going through create space, which is now KDP through Amazon. Was that like the first of the self publishing, uh, kind of platforms?
1: I don't know if it was the first, but it was definitely the, 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 if Amazon is now the eight hundred pound gorilla, you know, and and they were the first probably to really scale it to, in a large way. Um, there are other, you know, people have been selling books directly. I think probably forever, you know, ever since someone made a, a recipe book and and sold it to their friends for ten dollars. So, um, it's self publishing has been around, but Amazon definitely made it more accessible. And with with Amazon's Ability to capture um, buyers, you know, on for any almost anything and get it the next day, uh, Mm -hmm. books became a a big part of their business. But there's still other distribution channels, you know, there's Ingram Spark, for example, is a great distribution channel for book retailers and wholesalers because bookstores typically buy their books through wholesalers. That have vetted the book and they they feel like there's an opportunity to sell books there, um, <laughs> and then there's a uh, online book retailers out there. So there's a service called Draft to Digital that covers you know virtually all the online retailers. So between those three, you can really cover your your uh, your you can cover your bases there. The thing about traditional publishers is they have established relationships with the book wholesalers and bookstores and so and they have um authors that that um since they're they've invested in it they they have a high level belief that book retailers generally have a um more confidence in some of those books that come from um you know traditional publishers but yeah the landscape has pretty much changed these days um you know an author or aspiring author can can pretty much carve their own way without the help of a traditional publisher and create a book that people will really gravitate towards. And then hopefully it'll support a business of theirs or a brand or something that they have. Sure. Um, because, you know, unfortunately, books are only sold for $15 these days. I don't know. How much did you price your book for?
0: So what should I do with my money is price at $25, the 25. paperback.
1: And I think yeah. it should be 125 <laughs> you know I really I do would love it's, that that's the case for all books these days i it's It's my pet peeve, okay, pet peeve by David Jar here. The price of books are is too low Why do you say that? I just think uh somewhere along the line, people think that you know you someone buys a book and then they hand it to the next guy and then and they give it and they let someone else borrow it and it's demeaned the value of books, but people don't realize how much energy and time and thought and resources go into building these books and sure and so i wish i wish the book pricing market was you know a thousand times greater if not i mean i really think books should be priced in the hundreds instead of the tens and twenties because of the value that's offered the time intensity and and energy that's involved in creating a book and so i'm kind of on a campaign to increase prices increase prices
0: that's almost like what you saw with textbooks. You know, I remember that in, in college, it was like you go to a normal bookstore. It's the Barnes and Noble bookstore on your campus, and you have this best-selling book out there that everybody wants to read. That's twelve dollars. Yeah. Then you go get your textbook that no one's ever heard of, and oh, it's three hundred eighty dollars to go exactly. get that textbook. And it's like you could never like understand like what's going on here.
1: And I think that's the case with a lot of books. You know, I I just. Anyway, so I I'm trying to maintain price integrity. I don't like to give away books free or uh yeah. 99 cent deals on Amazon. I know that can have that can serve a purpose to build an audience, but um and there and, and it can't be a, an effective strategy if you have something else you're trying to upsell them to, but generally yeah. I I just think like the value of your book uh is incredible. And what I found is um People are more willing to pay for a, let's say, $250 course that mm. is three hours long and includes a free book instead of paying $15 for the book and just getting all the information in a book. So um, so when I'm working with authors, I, I try to um, let them understand that the book is going to be an offering and a, it a, a, could achieve your goal publishing a book but we want to have something on the back end that will actually create a revenue stream that you could rely on and so its i mean you're a great example this is a great book that establishes you as an expert in this financial advising space now you don't come out in the book and say hire me hire me hire me but it is a subtle um way of getting people to believe in what you have to say and then trust you with your information so that if they yeah. do end up having to hire someone someday then they can go you know what maybe i should try brian you know i read his book he's got great information i wonder what he would say about my situation and then maybe they would hire you
0: yeah um, for
1: some. Consulting. and i think
0: that's where and it's interesting you bring this up because I never almost looked at it from your viewpoint. for From my standpoint, it was always, hey, I have my day job. I'm a financial advisor. Practice is doing great. This is more of a passion yeah. that, in my opinion, it's like if I can get more people out there to read that book and say, okay, I've got financial literacy, I've got economic literacy, and now I can be a more protect- productive member of society, that to me is the home run. Yeah. But I see what you're saying where there's all these other people out there that did go into making that book um, yep. that also have to put food on the table as well. Exactly. And Conversely, if you're purely an author, um, it is hard. I mean, I couldn't if I didn't have my business, that book would never have been possible. Right. So right. if you're just a, a fiction or a fantasy author out there and that is your means of getting by, um, I almost don't know how <laughs> I don't know how you get by. <laughs> You know it's got to be tough.
1: Yeah. Well, I have some advice I can give. I don't know if you want to hear it now, but uh, it's definitely you know if you're selling a book for where you make ten dollars between three and ten dollars in profit margin, you got to sell a lot of books to make a living, right? So of course, just just penciling it out and thinking about the math behind it is is thinking of a way that the book can be a catalyst or leverage to to help your author career um, generate some revenue. So, a lot of times we'll develop courses or speaking platforms, or maybe it's a consulting business that they can leverage somehow and put a little advertisement in the back of the book. Um, you know, there's got to be a way that the book can support. Um, the author. But there are those that just have the dream of publishing a book and they just want to get their message out there. You know, I've I've written uh, just recently, um, uh, I guess it's more of an autobiography for a man named Monty Reek, and he wanted to be a professional cowboy. And uh, Hmm. his his life early on was, uh, you know, just filled with all kinds of things that that got him off track. and But uh, through a number of surgeries later on in life, he, he decided, you know, I got so, so much free time sitting in my couch. I I feel like I, I feel like God is leading me to write my story. And so he started writing his story and his story is about how, how God chased him down and yeah. how uh, <laughs> it turned his life around. And so now we call him the cowboy preacher and he's, he doesn't have, you know, Fantasies about selling millions of books he just want to get he just wants his book to get into someone's hands so they can find some answers about love and hope that's available through God in a relationship with jesus so um, so some authors just have a altruistic uh motivation and or a bucket list type motivation while others really want to use this as a catalyst to leverage um you know their business or their brand in in a new way. The sure. good thing is these days, online you can become a an influencer and create an audience yourself. You know you don't need to be on TV or uh, a celebrity actor or have a massive audience on uh radio or something. Those are the old days, and that definitely helps. And that's definitely something we aspire to. But these days, if you can come up with the right niche on YouTube or in social media and Instagram or TikTok, you can start creating an audience right now, you know, mm-hmm. just using what you have and what you know.
0: Yeah, you and don't have so to that's wait.
1: Part of the strategies that, that we get into.
0: Yep. And I think it does go back to, like you said, what's the motivation for writing that book? And it's true. Some people, they do need to sell thousands of dollars, you know, thousands of copies to make a living, where the other might say, if I can just get the right person to read this and hear my message. Um, it reminds me, you know, of in high school, I remember I had a teacher uh, that was a very passionate teacher and the the class was going nuts and he was just kind of getting fed up. And and every day it was like, he brought his best. He was like the model teacher. And he said, you know, if I can just reach one of you guys, if I can get to one of you that understands what I'm trying to teach, what I'm trying to coach, you know, in sports, and then you take it and you go take that to the world, then I've done my job. And. I think that's awesome because, and I think as an author too, if you just kind of see it that way too, it takes a lot of that pressure off when you're looking at the sales numbers every month and (laughs) seeing like, Hey, how am I doing? you know, it's like, it's, it's not always the quantity. Sometimes it is the quality.
1: Yeah. You know, you think of the legacy books too the the men and women that just want to capture their stories so they can pass it on to their family. You know, Mm -hmm. there's those kinds of books. Um, so yeah. my my work has I'm a ghostwriter and book publishing coach and um you know people might wonder what that is. So a ghostwriter is a it's a service I provide that helps authors uh construct and and write their book. It's they get all the credit and I just get paid a fee. But it's it's a collaborative process where uh, we gather information through interviews and transcripts, and and I, I work on mimicking their style and their voice and the written word to create a manuscript. And and then I coach the authors through, you know, de- identifying their publishing path, and if it's self-publishing, um, understanding the you know what it's going to take to get from A to B, mm-hmm. or if they want to find a publishing a traditional publisher, then either create a book proposal or find an agent and or identify some publishers as targets to to query um
0: if i could david how did how did you get into that because like i've heard the term ghostwriting and i mean it almost sounds exactly what the words are i mean almost like you're the writer but you're you're the one that's not seen um that it seems like unique like that that's not something that a lot of people would aspire to someday, but it's such a critical part of the the publishing industry. How did you end up there? Like, why did you go that route? Thanks
1: for asking. Yeah, I have a great story, but I want to let let you know and your audience know that ghostwriting is so common. It's, you know, um, Prince Harry wrote Spare, but he had a ghostwriter do all the legwork and all the heavy lifting. You know, Harry didn't write the book. You know, but not Madonna didn't write her book. She had a story to tell, but she had to have a ghostwriter. Uh, is so it Go a Perry safe and,
0: assumption? I mean, to assume like you see the the A list celebrity, like yeah, cool story, but I know you didn't write that.
1: <laughs> yeah, they have inspired yeah. it, they crafted it, but there's someone had to. You know, most people are not naturally gifted writers. That's just that's just it is. Some I have clients that that have. I have one that's approaching me now that is blind in one eye and has a motor. Problem with his hands, so he can't type very well. Um, Other people are really good talkers, but ask them to write something, they just can't. You know, and doctors, for example, are so busy, they -hmm. know so much, and they want to share so much, but they just don't have the time. Um, So uh, these are kinds of people or situations where um, they they have a story, they have some discovery or memoir or. Investigation they want to do and they want to reveal it, but they just need help with some to have someone put it all together for them, Mm -hmm. and that's where the ghostwriter comes in. Um, I had a long career in public relations. Now, public relations is more than just being great with people, it's actually a writing job. You're writing articles, news releases, speeches, and so I got very used to writing for other people. So, if you write a speech, I'm writing a speech as if the CEO is is talking. If I write a quote for a news release or, or a, an article, I write it as if I'm that CEO. And then, of course, they approve it. You know, they, they have the control. Mm-hmm. I had a long career of writing for other people, um, and and it culminated in that, that SB Award nomination story I wrote about Neil Perry, who became the first NCAA Division I football player to play on a prosthetic leg in a football game. And his story was so motivational that it became nominated for the most inspirational sports story of the year. After that, wow. you know, during that time, I was a partner at a top 10 firm in Orange County, California, in a public relations firm. And after that, I just, I felt like I'd, I'd accomplished so much in PR and I I just wanted to find something else. And so I left the firm in 2004 <clears throat> and I, I started uh, getting into real estate investing, so buying and selling, fixing and flipping, and but then the economy in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, just you know, all the yep. uh, foreclosures the and just really did yep. a number, and I had investors that decided to not to, to do anything, just to hold tight, and so my whole life completely changed, and in the meantime, I was going through divorce, which was awful. And trying to be a co-parent to two young daughters, and uh it was a very, very difficult time because I was financially stressed. I had no income i was uh, had debt because I'd already laid out <clears throat> some debt on a previous project to renovate a house and um you know I was going through this, this divorce and I was drinking too much, and I was just a mess and um through a series of events i I, I honestly, I, I developed, I I came to a a point where I needed a relationship with God. I needed some, I needed a higher power to intervene. And uh, part of my story is that I, I decided to become a Christian and I surrendered my life to Christ. And, and then I started getting involved at Saddleback Church and Saddleback Church is in Lake Forest, California. The pastor Pastor Rick Warren, you know, he's been the pastor there for 30-some-odd years, and he's recently stepped into a new role. But at the time, um, I just felt like, well, if I don't have a lot of work, I can volunteer. And so while I was looking for work and doing everything I could to to scrape a living, uh, I started volunteering. I got involved in the communications department, just helping out with uh, different things. And then we started a writing ministry, helping people learn how to write blogs so we could kind of report the news about what's going on at Saddleback church. And so Ooh. I was the editor of that, uh, ministry. And around that time in 2010, pastor Rick was gaining a lot of weight. And I don't know, pastor Rick, by the way, he's the one who wrote the purpose driven life. The yeah. I know life.
0: the name. Yep. Wow. Yeah.
1: And that's huh. the, when did the, he that write that book in American history besides the Bible? If you can believe Jeez. that. Yeah. So anyway, very, uh, influential man and uh author <clears throat> excuse me but um he started gaining weight in 2010 and then he he told the story that he was out of baptism and at Saddleback it's a huge church when they have a baptism you know they have hundreds of people stand in line and he, and he said that he tells the story that he was in the in the baptismal the the pool of water and he was recognizing that that his back was starting to hurt because he was bending over, helping all these overweight people get baptized. He says, everyone's fat and I'm fat. I got to do something (laughs) about it. (laughs) So, so he took inspiration from a book in the Bible called the book of Daniel. And, uh, the, the story in Daniel is that, uh, Daniel and his three amigos were being, um, Prime to serve the new king uh, who had just taken over this uh, Israel nation, and uh, they wanted some of the best and brightest kids. And so they wanted to feed them from the king's table. And they said, no, 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 I'll tell you what, let's do a deal. The first weight loss challenge in, in history, they said, you know, just give us vegetables for 15 days and let's see how it goes after that. And so Pastor had called that the first weight loss challenge in history. But anyway, so taking that inspiration, he created a a, a desire to help uh, other faith-based organizations and individuals not only get spiritually fit, but physically fit. And okay. so while I was volunteering at the church, at the end of, uh, of December 2010, I get a call from Pastor Rick's office and asked me, hey, have you heard about this thing I've been talking about called the Daniel Challenge? And I said, yeah, I, of course, you know. And, And uh, so they called me in, and uh, we put together a contract for the next year to write the content for what became known as the Daniel Plan. And Pastor Rick recruited three influential, famous doctors to collaborate on developing this, this protocol, if you will, and so he re- he uh, he recruited Dr. Mehmet Oz from the Dr. Oz Show, which is just huge. Yeah, and you know, second pop- most popular TV show you know at the time. And then uh, Dr. Daniel Amen, the famous brain doctor, psychiatrist out of Newport Beach, yeah. and uh, and then Dr. Mark Hyman, the functional medicine pioneer, who's you know got his own um, level of fame and influence with his books. And so they asked yep. me to work with those three doctors and Pastor Rick to create a plan, the Daniel plan, that would help his church and other churches get spiritually and physically fit.
0: Isn't that crazy? Wow, that's amazing. And just to, to lay some of the context here, David, so Pastor Rick Warren, I think so many people listening right now will know that name as soon as they hear it. If we rewind to when you were collaborating with him, you started going to his church, you know, 2008, eight, nine, ten. Correct. who was he at that time was he did he have a, a huge following or is he the name that people recognize so easily today
1: yeah at that time he was his fame so to speak was cresting he did the invocation for the presidential uh uh what do they call it uh when the new president gets uh officially announced for obama he was the one who okay did the he was on uh, he was called the most influential man of the year by time magazine he he was on the cover of time magazine at the time
0: okay so um, it wasn't like him reaching out to dr oz was like hey who are you like why you? It, like he was kind of on par with these other big kind of yeah. iconic people
1: yeah in fact there was kind of a mutual hey um you can leverage my audience if you if we can leverage your audience kind of a thing got it
0: and were you like, were you? Um, how did you meet Pastor Rick first? Like, was that something where you became close, or did he hear about your skills as a writer, and then eventually you kind of bubbled up through the church? Yeah. Like, kind of how did that relationship evolve?
1: Well, it started with volunteering at the church and and going through the trainings and stuff, um, and then getting into the communications department. Keep in mind, Saddleback is a is one of the largest churches in the world, and so it's a big organization. And um, um, I actually didn't spend a lot of time with Rick except through some group or team meetings. And okay. he is a phenomenal leader. I would call him a visionary. So we would go into a meeting, and he would he would cast a vision. You know, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. You know, we're going to create a plan that helps faith-based organizations get spiritually and physically fit. At the time, we called it God's Prescription for Health. And, and I want you guys to figure out how to do that, you know. And I'll, I'll help uh, with the Bible study part, but I need you guys to figure out all everything else. And so hmm. I was the one put in the middle of this scenario to try to create the, the content for, within this context, this vision that would pull from these three different doctors who had their own ambitions and their own agendas and their own ways of getting healthy and try to, uh, create a, uh, a way that, uh, would satisfy everyone's opinions. And, um, so working with Rick, with Rick was a little bit of, at a hands distance or arms length distance. Um, but, um, I worked more closely with the, the, um, pastoral staff, the communication staff, we built the website, the emails, the content, the book, uh, manuscripts, um, mm-hmm. the event planning people. Um, so yeah, I was very much involved, but Rick was more the visionary leader, continuing to build content for what he felt was important at the time for his, his uh, congregation and, and other people. Um, and so how
0: does, maybe that's a good segue in going back to kind of ghostwriting. Now okay. as you have these four folks that you're going to work with. Yeah. Um, I imagine whenever you're dealing with, with whether it be A-list celebrities or big names like Pastor Rick, Dr. Oz, um, you know, you have egos in the room that all have their own little way of doing thing or saying something. And then yeah. are you like in the middle? Like, okay, guys, let's take all this in. And then I'm going to tell you kind of how it, it, it will you know, kind of work best with the public?
1: Yes, exactly. Now, I've always, one of my strengths, a couple of them are mimicking style and pace and, and, and patterns with, in writing. The other, the other strength I have is synthesizing information. So, you know, for example, Dr. Amen would give me a bunch of information about how the brain needs to be treated as the most important organ in your body. And so the whole diet and everything else needs to be focused on the brain. And Mark Hyman, his agenda was, well, you know, functional medicine is about food is medicine, you know, so we need to focus on getting the right foods into your diet, not processed or man made. He he would say, Eat what's God made, not what man made. You know, that was <laughs> the thing, medicine is on a fork. And so we had to combine his influence. And then and then Doctor Oz, um, his input was more related to uh, what he was talking about at the time on TV. So if he had a particular um, set of information that he thought was important, that he was going to be on the show, he would send that over to us and we try to incorporate that. So there was a definitely a, 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 a dynamic there that was very difficult. So I had to look outside of those three inputs and even the Bible study from Rick and the pastoral staff to think about what's the framework. And, and I guess this is part of the advice that I would give any author is, uh, or aspiring author is first, decide. Decide that you're gonna do this. Don't think about it, believe you can do it, hope one day you wanna do it or have a dream to do it. Those are all great, but at some point you have to decide, like you did, Brian, at some point you have mm-hmm. to decide, I'm going to do this. And that's what Pastor Rick did. He said, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna create a plan that helps people and then the second piece is to create a framework and it's like a framework on a house or or just the building blocks that you can kind of uh, start building material around Um, and a lot of times we call this an outline and so you go back to your english high school class where you learn how to write an outline and that's kind of what we do is what's the vision you know the the initial plan or the context and then what's the content or the framework that we're going to put this in. And for the Daniel plan, we used, uh, faith, food, fitness, friends, and focus. Okay. And so each of those words had a different set of dynamics, non dynamics, content that we would build this plan around. So. The Daniel Plan is, is, is about a faith journey. It's about changing your food. It's increasing your fitness. It's doing it uh, in a way that would enhance your focus or your brain. And then it's also benefits if you do it with other friends or in, in a group context. And so we started developing the material around those, that framework. And that's just what I would tell an author is, think of where you're going, what you want to write about. Like, I'd in- like to write a story about my, my recovery journey, for example. That's the context.
0: The gotcha. framework
1: is going to be possibly, what was it look like in the past? What it looked like going through treatment, and what am I at now? So, before, during, and after, simple framework. Um, but then, I have the work-
0: a question yeah. for you, Davis. I guess that just kind of came to mind. So, as you're building out this framework, and if we use the Daniel plan as a case study here, okay, do you feel that when you add another element? Cause I, these are things even I thought about as an author. It's like, as you add another element, you open up another window of opportunity, but you also open up another kind of, um, domain that people might be turned off by. And yeah. the reason I, I ask is like, you have those five F's there. It sounds like, yeah. do you feel like you could have a potential reader that would say, okay, I really want to learn about fitness. I know I need to start thinking about the food that I'm eating. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm not, I could care less about the faith thing. Like, let's leave that out. Or yeah. vice versa. Someone that, you know, do you feel that? Like you can, there's a magic number there of like, we're adding too much or we're taking away too much where we're either alienating people or we're not attracting enough people. Like, did you mm-hmm. have any, wow. or, like, almost kind of like thought of like, they've got to be able to check each of these boxes or maybe just one, you know, to mm-hmm. be a reader? Um.
1: Well, Gosh, a couple of different things come to mind. Uh, first of all, I encourage authors to 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 include everything they've got. You know, to write it out. There's no word limit that, or page limit that you have to worry about until you get to the point of asking yourself what's really going to sell or be attractive. Uh, so if you, I have a guy who, who gave me a million words. A million words. It's like nineteen notebooks of a material. I'm like, this is not <laughs> gonna sell, you know. We have <laughs> yeah. to break this down. Um so first I would say is flesh out all your ideas. Um the, the the next you know, um there we always have material that has a risk of alienating someone. On the mm-hmm. flip side, um there is going to be an audience that gravitates towards everything. So rather than worrying about those that are going to alienate and, and not like a certain part of your plan, think about where you want to go with your story and focus on the audience that you want to reach and try to serve them the best you can. So with exactly. the Daniel Plan, um, we decided that you know these are the components that make the Daniel Plan, and you may not be totally interested in the spiritual part the it was a six week little Bible study about how important it is to treat your body as a temple of god and and to take it seriously as a living sacrifice it says in Romans mm-hmm. um, you may not be as attracted to that, but if we can get you in to look at the what we're talking about faith or for food and fitness and friends and focus, then maybe you'll see the greater context maybe you will see the importance of the, of how the spiritual side of this becomes the foundation of really the motivation behind doing this. Besides just losing some weight, which would be great, but mm-hmm. there's something more there. Um, so I would say focus on your message and then focus on the the market that you really are serving and do your best job and don't worry about alienating other people because, because- there's always going to be those people that are going to go, ah, uh, I'm not interested. Uh, just tell me how to work out, you know.
0: Yeah, but because I mean, get hopefully to it. it's, it's not like, um, it, it seems this way. Hopefully it's not as real as it seems. But in today's day and age, it seems like we're just on, you know, polar ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And I think it's yeah. nowhere more prevalent than in politics, obviously. But I think as you go into like any news channel, they're all going to the extreme to one side or the other, no matter what the particular topic is. And I feel like when you do that, you're like, all right, it's a slam dunk. I know I'm going to get these viewers because they love hearing about this stuff. But then we know, okay, forget about that whole segment because they're not even going to hear us out as soon as we mention X, Y or Z. Um, I mean, is that is that okay? like kind of where we're living? I feel like all that middle ground, it's just not really getting attention. (laughs) Do people want to read and watch that? Or is that something that like we've kind of moved on from and we want the, the excitement of polarity?
1: Well, I think there's there's something to the excitement of polarity, and the media definitely um, perpetuates that. Now, Mm -hmm. keep in mind there are how many millions of people in America and around the world—eight billion people in the world—a lot of people, (laughs) and there's a lot of people that have very specific interests, and more specific than you can even imagine. For example, with you, Brian, you wrote a book called "Why Should I? How Should I? What Should I Do with My Money?" which is a, a broad topic, probably very competitive. Mm-hmm. And you've done a, a yeoman's job with it, with tackling the subject, you really have. Thank you. Um, but it's a very broad category. Everyone in the world has some kind of design around what they think or want to do with their money. What if you were to break it down to something more specific? And I would say your millennial millionaire is going towards a more specific target market. You could probably go into even further, and <laughs> and write a book. Maybe not as long, but you could probably break it down into categories and write a book about it. Sure. Let's just say you want to target millennials who are interested in sci-fi fantasy that want to learn how to invest. You know, there's a market <laughs> for that. Uh, sure. <laughs> no, there really I believe is. it. <laughs> there's, there's there's so many ways to break down the audience. You could write a book for gamers, you know, video gamers that to teach them how to leverage those skills in the financial world. You know, there's probably a market for that. And so the more you can niche down, the better. And so I mm-hmm. use a tool that helps me look for keywords that people are using to search on Amazon for. So I can put keywords in there so I can find out what people are looking for on, on Amazon and elsewhere. And it'll help me find every book in, the, in that category. And you'd be surprised. There's, I mean, Amazon has hundreds, maybe thousands of different categories of books. Yeah. And so there, it's a big world out there. And so sure. how, the, how the media influences is a dynamic. It is something that's happening. But as an author, you have to maintain that there's going to be someone that, re, that is interested in your book. And if there's someone that's interested in your book, there's probably 10 more. There's probably a hundred or a thousand more of them just like that. Um, and so we want to think when we write a book, we're, we're really focusing on that audience and how to get our message to them and do the best job we can to help them, whatever their situation is. In my work, Got it. it's in the health and wellness space, the mind, body, and soul psychiatry, uh, cardiology, therapy, personal training. I've done some memoirs and autobiographies. So I'm always looking for uh authors that want to help people with their health. You know, that's that's where I'm going. And I know that's a broad category. That's why we get more and more defined into specific areas of it. Yeah. Um uh, this one just came out. Um uh, let's see. Gosh uh, this is a an example. This is called the ketamine breakthrough by Dr. Mike Dow. You've seen him on T V probably he's all over the place. And yeah. Ronan Levy. Now, if you take a look at mental health, that's a big subject. Sure. These guys are pioneering the use of ketamine as a psychedelic tool to assist with psychotherapy. Um, You know, psychedelics are kind of uh, in the public eye right now. And so they they got a deal through Hay House Publishing and they hired me to do the ghostwriting. And this came out in March. Um, And so it's just an example of of uh, uh, how you can break something down. Here's one.
0: Yeah, and you go further you and know, further.
1: Magnificent uh, Magnesium. You know, this is a book exclusively focused on the mineral magnesium and how that can help with your health, your energy, and stuff. Huh.
0: So um, when you're when you're doing these, Dave, like whether you're dealing with the, the two books that you just showed us or going back to the Daniel plan where you have, like, these four really big names uh, yeah. that are at the top of their game, are you the quarterback in the middle of that? Or, like, where yeah. – Or was it Pastor Rick that said, like, I want to get all their areas of expertise, but then I'm going to leverage it into my narrative? Like, how does that interplay actually work when you have multiple authors?
1: Well, I'm the quarterback. That's a great term for it. I think the the co-authors have to agree on the the main vision or the main, uh, the primary context. You know, we're going to write a book to help people with their health and spiritual health. Bam yeah now how do we do that and so each week I' would get on a phone call with uh we'd have conference calls with each of the doctors to discuss the topic and so we started talking about food and fitness and then Dr. Amon wanted to talk about the brain and and uh, they each had their their information and so I started gathering the information and then synthesizing it and I started seeing a a, a you know patterns, and I was like, "Hey, this is related to food. This is related to fitness. This is related to focus, and this piece is related to friends." You know, doing this with others has a a, a, um, a benefit, an accountability benefit, if nothing else. But it's also fun, and and it's hard to do it alone. And so we kind of started uh, working in those silos, and then within those silos, and then kind of building material underneath of those. So then my interviews each week had specific questions. Okay, we're going to talk about food this week. You know, you know, what should we be eating? What should we not be eating? Uh, what what should we say about other diets? Is this a diet? No, we decided this is a lifestyle plan. This is something that we want to implement for life. It's not just a thing you do for 30, 60, 90 days and then you're done. Um, this is something that's sustainable. That was one of our objectives. What about fitness? Okay, the next week we talk about fitness. What's a good you know, walking fast is great. Playing ping pong is great for your brain. And uh dancing is really a you know full uh body experience and, and what about high intensity? What about you know so we start breaking down fitness. And yeah. so once you have that framework, you can start developing material under each of those bullet items that support the the primary context or the primary vision of the book. Does that help how long
0: does that take?
1: Um Every author is different, you know, it's how long does it take? It depends on how much time you have to, um, to devote to it. Now I'll tell you for me and my clientele, we usually plan for a four month writing process, a one month followed by a one month period of editing, running through editors, and then another month of revisions. So, within six months, we can have a manuscript that's edited, written and edited. Uh, And this is usually about a 60 to 80,000 word book, which is kind of an industry standard. You can go longer, you can go shorter. I I like to say thin as in uh, because of the book pricing model we talked about earlier. You can (laughs) sell a thin book of 20,000 words for the same price as an 80,000 word book, like your book for 20, for, you know, yours is 25, but Anyway, yeah. so there's very little pricing difference, but um, you still wanna take the time and effort to, to craft your message and make sure it sounds good and has everything you want. So usually within six months, and then I'll go uh, another three months for the publishing process and promotion, getting a book launch ready, and then, and then beyond that. So most of my contracts or agreements with clients are usually 12 month long contracts that include the book writing, the publishing, and the promoting phases, and then they extend <laughs> after that. Usually, Got so it, it. kind of depends. Got but it. I mean, you can have a book written in in thirty days if you have the time, yeah, um, and, and the money. Like, if you have the time to pay and the money to pay me to do it in thirty days, then then I could do that. But I'd have to clear my schedule, so the price goes up. <laughs> sure. You know, so there are variables in there. But yeah. that's that's a typical timeline for me now in the public, traditional publishing world you're looking at a two year time frame
0: i was going to say i'm like wow i'm i'm way off
1: <laughs> yeah in the traditional i world, was at least a lot of two and a half well. years
0: i'd say you know yeah, it was a year delays. and then a year of edits and rewrites and then getting it yep. out to the world yep
1: yep there's a lot of books stacking up a lot of people that want to write books the editorial uh, personnel these days in traditional publishing has been reduced they're leaving they're doing their own thing they're you know, COVID had a big I- impact on publishing, so there's a delay in the traditional publishing world where it's gonna take a couple years or more to get a book published, but you can still write it in you know, four to six months. Yeah. It's just a matter of getting it finalized and published in the traditional uh, sense can take a lot longer because of the, the industry situation.
0: Got it. And so what what was the first book that you wrote? I think that's something everybody would like to hear.
1: <laughs> yeah. The first book was The Daniel Plan.
0: That was the very first one.
1: That was the very first one. Uh-huh. And then after that, Dr. Amen, the brain doctor, hired me to do three of his books. And two of those became New York Times bestsellers. And wow. then after that, I had people coming to me because I had just written three different New York Times bestselling books. Uh, along with these authors, of course so and how do so,
0: they know that was going to be another question like you you write this book that just takes off and, and it becomes a bestseller but your name is not on the cover so yeah how do you almost do your own pr when it's like you finally built this beautiful product but again you're literally the ghost like <laughs> yeah. how does it you know no pun intended but how do you go to like the the next big jobs how do you become the big
2: name
1: they find me you know even though i'm some authors don't include me in the acknowledgements others do they'll they'll call me a research assistant or editorial advisor or something they don't use the word ghostwriter very often Um, there are cases where the author just simply does not want to know want anyone to know that there was a ghostwriter on the project Um, but those cases are actually few and far between for me Um, Hmm. so what happens is uh people ask well who who wrote the daniel plan And, and if you're inside the saddleback community or one of the doctors, then you go, Well, I know the guy who did it, you know. And so then um and if you look up uh you know best selling health and wellness writer on LinkedIn, you'll probably find me, you know. Um I have other referral sources, publishers, agents, literary arts companies, and mm-hmm. uh other services that refer me. So there are other referral sources out there. Um, I want to do personally, I want to do more of targeting people that I want to write for, uh, until now I've just been, you know, whenever someone refers me a project, we try to sort of decide if it's a good working relationship or not. Um, but I'd like to be able to go after, like, I wish I was, uh, the guy who wrote with Tim Tebow, you know, I wish I would have gone there, you know, 10 years ago and said, Tim, let's do a book together. I would have, that would have been great. But I can't remember his name now, but he got there first. And so I want to do more of that. But in, in the meantime, I get uh, referrals from various sources that, that, that want the experience and know-how and the ability to help the author throughout the whole phase of writing, publishing, and promoting, launching their book and brand and business and beyond. So whatever that looks like. Gotcha. Uh, I bring a mix of public relations skills and ghostwriting skills. And publishing skills so i'm a little unique in that uh that, that i do have people that that want to work with me and so i have a pipeline of people and uh and so what i've started is a coaching service is um actually less ghostwriting and more coaching to help people with uh you know just the dy- or i think i've said dynamics you know five times already today But all the different issues related to what goes on in the process of writing, editing, publishing, promoting a book, and so I'm taking on more coaching clients. I think that's kind of a pivot I'm making in my own business.
0: That's cool though, because there's different avenues that you can go down and kind of spice things up, you know, with with your career. And so as you did all of this, the Daniel plan, kind of like this marquee thing that that launched you, if you will. You know, then Pastor Rick had the purpose-driven life when, I think that's what, at least as far as I know, that's how I know him. I know my my wife has read his book. I know other people that have read that book. When did that come out? What was kind of the timeline with all this?
1: Oh, gosh, that was before the Daniel plan. Um, Hang on, I have it right here. Let me see. It was published initially by Zondervan in 2002.
0: Okay, so pretty early on.
1: Yeah, and so then I came along in 2010 um, and got the opportunity to to serve as the writer for the Daniel Planet. Since then, I think I've done, I don't even know, I've lost count, but 30, 35 books in the last 12 years. Um, And I have a constant flow of people. Um, I'm working on three or four different books right now and coaching two or three others. Um, so yeah, it's a great time. I'm writing for a, a brain surgeon right now about a new paradigm in medicine. I'm writing with a, a real estate mogul billionaire guy who who wants to mentor young millennials on some of the lessons he's learned in life and a very <laughs> cool project. His favorite character is Batman. I see you're a superhero fan, yep. so I <laughs> yeah, really you got some back yeah. Um I've got another book pub getting published uh this month called Shift Calling for a, a spiritual guide. Um uh, she's a supermodel that went hmm. from supermodel to to modern mystic. So you may not know her but you may have seen her. Hmm. Um I've got a book for by Dr. Lee Van Oker out of Maryland. She's on TV a lot. She's writing Never Let Them See You Sweat. It's about stress and and how you can harness it for success. Um, I'm writing the third book for Monty Reek, the cowboy I mentioned earlier, his third book in the series, the cowboy preacher series that's going to be, um, coming out next in the in the winter sometime. So yeah, it's an exciting time. It's a lot of fun. What I do, you know, huh. it, there's, there's a lot of difficulty. It's hard to, uh, there are moments where it's really hard, uh, to juggle this many projects. Um and to work with different personalities, but each author is so interesting and so much fun to work with. And yeah. um, so it's very much an adventure. Very
0: and, much and an that's adventure, what I was right? going to say. It seems like you're working with so many different types of people and there's all different, you know, opportunities you could pursue. So one of my questions I was going to ask is kind of the future. I know you're living in a bit of it now, kind of doing the coaching in addition to the ghostwriting. Um, but do you see like more of, using the book as the stepping stone to have some sort of program like the Daniel plan or the book becomes an entree into maybe doing a movie or a mini series or are those some of the things that you're looking for or do you pursue or excuse me prefer to stay a little bit more in the realm of just writing
1: well uh for my clients we are we are actually looking right now one of the books we're looking at trying to put together a, a television deal or a movie series or a you know a Netflix series if you will um, so those projects are out there um, and I do develop courses and help uh, clients with their brands to help them develop that revenue stream for myself personally um, I'm looking at pivoting a little bit doing more coaching throughout the writing and publishing promoting process Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm really the reason why I'm doing that is my ulterior plan is to start writing myself you know to come up with my own voice Uh, I actually haven't written my own book yet except for a small little um, book I'm publishing I did I don't know five six years ago but I'd like to possibly write about my recovery journey Um, I'm a Three years clean and sober right now, so I'm thinking about writing my recovery journey and creating a. I have a course out there called the Road to Recovery that uh, is on a website called PatientWorld.net, <clears throat> and it's a uh, just a simple course. But I thought, you know, I should probably start writing my own stuff. I have a lot of ideas, yeah. nonfiction, fiction. I want to, you know, do some stuff under my own name. So I think that's what's coming in the next five to 10 years. I'd really like to be able to do that. Cool. But I'd have to p- pivot my business, do less ghostwriting, more coaching, so sort it of frees up more time to start writing my own stuff. So
0: I think that's kind of where I'm
1: heading. And maybe Got I'll it. get a publishing deal like you and, and get famous.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. I'm sure you could pull it off. And so if we could, uh, one of the things my, my listeners love hearing is this lightning round that we wrap up each conversation with, where we get to know a little bit more about you personally um so are you okay with that if we dive right in and we'll fire <laughs> fire some questions you tell me the first thing that comes to mind okay go for it all right so the first one should be good for you what's your favorite book the bible great and favorite movie
1: sound the music uh sound the
0: music <laughs> okay and um hero either past or present could have been a hero you grew up aspiring to or Maybe a current one that you wrote a book for.
1: I used to love Dr. J, Julius Irving, basketball. I played basketball. I'm a big basketball guy. So and so he would probably be one of my heroes. But I also love the, the my hero in the Bible is King David. An incredible story, <laughs> an incredible leader of the Israel nation. Um, so those would be my two heroes.
0: Awesome. That's great. And uh, do you have a quote to live by?
1: Uh love your neighbor as yourself.
0: Great. Yeah. And So I assume you've you've gotten to do some traveling or get exposed to other parts of the world dealing yeah. with so many people like this. Do you have a favorite destination or vacation? Norway. Norway. Okay. Yeah,
1: I'm Norwegian. And I spent some time in Norway in an earlier life. Uh, and I just love Norway. It is beautiful. The people are so friendly and lovely. And it's i love the mountains and and the fjords and and it's just a idyllic space i, I love norway so much uh <laughs> but right now i just love where i live castle rock colorado it's a beautiful place it it, it reminds me of norway in a sense you got mountains and hiking everywhere the people are friendly and it's a it's a small town huh. vibe and uh, it's just it's just lovely here but
0: uh, That's awesome. norway
1: is one of my favorite destinations Actually, my add,
0: favorite. I will add that to the list. And okay. so this show began as a finance show. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you what's the best investment you ever made, financial or otherwise?
1: Well, it would be in myself. You know, I think we are our best asset. And so the more that we can invest in ourselves through training or therapy or taking care of our health, then that gives us the opportunity to do what we want in life. Um, the financially, you know, I'm not a financial whiz. That's why I'm trying to read your book. You know, I need to figure (laughs) out what I'm going to do with my money. Uh, we recently bought a, bought a house and, and so we're doing pretty good. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, I, 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 I guess I would have to say though, the single best investment I ever made was making a decision to make, jesus god my lord and savior that changed everything in my life so that would probably top everything
0: awesome good for you and on the flip side any worst investment that comes to mind
1: oh boy at least a land rover discovery i think that was the worst thing i ever did (laughs) uh it was back in i don't know 2000s or so and I was doing public relations for Land Rover at the time. And so I just fell in love with the brand and the car. And I, I got a brand new 2000 Land Rover Discovery. And I think the lease payment was $700 a month or something. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> five-year lease. Don't ever do a five-year lease on a car. It's the worst thing you can do. I'm sure you know that. <laughs> what a waste of time and money. And then I had to give the car right back.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we can't end on that note, but um, so just to, to leave on better terms, do you have anything that we didn't touch on today or that you'd like to leave our listeners with?
1: Well, yeah, I, I think the the best piece of advice I would leave your authors or your audience with, if they want to become an author and develop an income stream, build their wealth through their content, then they have to do three things: they have to decide to do it. They have to decide to write a book. You have to do that and then create the framework, the outline around that, and start. Don't let it be intimidating. you have to get started so making a decision to do that is kind of the first step. The second piece is uh, think through the business that you really want to develop on the back end, so if you want to develop a course or a speaking thing or um A product line or a consulting service, be aware that having the end of beginning with the end in mind will really help you with what you're going to do with your book. Not that it's an advertisement, but it needs to support that goal. And the third thing I would say is um, brand now. You need to start promoting, even though authors tend to be a little introvertish or don't want Mm -hmm. to get their name out there. You have to start building your audience now. The single best thing you can do is develop a landing page with a URL with your book title and start getting people to go to your landing page. So you have to write it, you have to design it, but start that now. Even if you don't have the book written, you don't have an idea what you're going to do next, get a landing page because that will start developing. You can start sending people to that page to learn more about the book you have coming up. Um, Hmm. So those are the three things I would say, you got to decide, think of your business, and then start promoting, building your brand now.
0: That's awesome. No, that was perfect. I think that was a short sweet to the point. And I just based on my little bit of experience in this this world, I I think that hit the nail on the head. All three of those are so key. So I would be in a full agreement there. But uh, right. David, thanks for making some time. This was really cool and, and really gave us some insight into kind of a whole industry. I think a lot of people don't fully understand.
1: You're welcome. It's my pleasure. And by the way, if anyone wants to get in touch with me, they can go to my website, davidjar.us. That's D-A-V-I-D-J-A-H-R.us. And just yep. click on the button, let's connect, and we'll schedule a time to get together and talk yep. about what, what plans you might have and, and see if there's a way that I could help or not. But that's the best way to get a hold of me.
0: Awesome. And I'll be sure to put that in today's show notes. So everyone, awesome. thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna Podcast. I'm Brian Kaderna. Today, we had the pleasure of speaking with David Jar. Definitely leave a review wherever you're tuning in. Please spread the good word. Always remember to subscribe on any of your podcasting services or YouTube. And we will see you next time.
2: This podcast is intended for the general public and for informational purposes only. The show does not provide any recommendations or investment advice regarding any specific account type, service, strategy, or product, or to otherwise act in any fiduciary or other capacity. Please contact a financial professional for guidance and information that is specific to your situation. Brian Kaderna does not provide tax or legal advice. Please contact your accountant or legal advisor to discuss your situation. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Coderna Financial Team, and opinions stated are their own. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. References to specific securities, asset classes, and financial markets are for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a solicitation, offer, or recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Brian Coderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003, phone number 973-244-4420. Securities, products, and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Hiderna Financial Team is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California insurance license number 0K04194.